Powered by Subla X, OQ's innovation hub, this is Subla X Podcast, an OQ podcast. Hi there, uh, my name uh, is Ammar Lujeli. I'm working in the Subla X team. I'm going to be the host of the podcast for today. Our guest today is uh, Muhammad Al Jashmi. Muhammad is um, a Tikatuf uh, scholar from the 2012 cohort. Um, he uh, completed the Tikatuf Scholars Program in September 2013. Went for um, um, recently graduated and uh, joined Apple. Am I right to say in September or September? September of 2019. So this is his fifth month uh, with Apple. Um, the title of the podcast today could be Omani in Apple. Muhammad, can you give us uh, some more information about you as a as a person and uh, and, and your development? Uh, yeah, sure. Assalamu alaikum. Thanks for having me here. My name is Muhammad Al-Jashmi. I'm a 2012 Takatif Scholar. That's the first batch of uh, Takatif Scholars program. After graduating in Oman, I went to Scotland for two years in a boarding school called uh, Gordonston. And after graduation, I went to MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, to study mechanical engineering for four years. And after that, uh, after graduation, I worked briefly for a company here in Oman, then started working at Apple uh, since September. Uh, Mohammed, what's your relation to uh, to OQ, uh, previously Oman Oil Company and um, and Orpic? Uh, well, the Takatif the Takatif pro- program was uh, initiated by Oman Oil. So that's Oman Oil is the sponsor of my scholarship for the past six years. So that's and I've been in close contact with the company since then. You did two years in 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 Gordonston. Um, what change do you think those introduced to you as a person? Gordonston was the first time I've gone outside the country for an extended period of time, and going to uh, a day school in Oman and transitioning to a boarding school in Scotland was uh, definitely a big jump. It wasn't just any boarding school. It was a boarding school in the middle of nowhere. Really, the nearest town was like an hour away. It's not like you're going to London where you're going to meet a lot of Arabs, Muslims. It was just the school. And the closest thing you would actually have to... You can't even just go outside the school yourself. You have to go through the school outside the school and uh, going to that very restrictive system and like with very set set of rules was a big change for me but in a sense it was like kind of like military school and you kind of you have to go by the system uh, the system was not exactly the easiest system it was they really wanted you to do a lot of different things and those things are like sports uh, some sort of community service and mine was mountain service then you would go do a debating in the afternoon and it, just having that like very strict regime uh, I think was very important for me in what sense it was very important because I think it was the first time where I had some sort of schedule even when I was in school here in in, in Oman I didn't really have a schedule um, I would go to school and I would come back from school and that's really the only thing I ever knew. That's the only schedule that I have. But here, oh, okay, you're going to wake up at 7 a.m. At 8 p.m., you're going to have the morning assembly. 8.30, you're going to class, first class, second class, third class. During lunch break, you might have some sort of activity. After school, uh, you're going to play, say, hockey today or 
volleyball today. Uh, then at 4 p.m. you are gonna do you're gonna go to the Scottish Highlands, which is a few hours away from the school, and you're gonna do mountain climbing. Then you're kind of you're gonna come back. You're gonna have dinner. Then you have an hour and a half, and that's when you can do your schoolwork. And that kind of very like strictly sequential set of events was the first time I ever ha- had a schedule of sorts. And I assume that that was beneficial to you in um, going to college? Well, it was it was beneficial to me because I realized when I actually had a set schedule, I could do a lot of different things and I could discreetly separate these activities into separate chunks. And for me, it w- in the past, it was like, I would do this activity and however long it takes, I'll keep doing it until I get bored or I just need to move on. But here it was like, okay, five to six, you're going to do this. Six to seven, you're going to do something else. Regardless of what happened in the first hour, if you enjoyed it too much or you disliked it too much, you're going to do it for an hour. So I think that was, and I still, I don't really like have a strict schedule now, but I know when I need to, when I have a goal in mind and I have a certain task, I know how to kind of split my time to make sure that I get all of the, like the the more commitments you have, the the more necessary this is. Uh, so I think that was important for me later on at university. All right. Um, can you tell the audience about your um, transition to college and why did you decide to cross the pond and, um, and go to MIT? Well, I applied to MIT. And when I got in, that was kind of my decision-making process. I got in, therefore I go. <laughs> so that was the whole decision-making process. But the, the transition was interesting in a sense that the British system, which is like the Omani system, was very focused on exams and testing at the end of the year. There was no checkpoints. During, like There was minimal amount of check, checkpoints or uh, small, smaller milestones that you go through before you have your final examination, unlike in college where you have assignments every week. That's the first kind of uh, paradigm shift that I, have, I had to make is okay, you don't need to cram at the end of the year because you have a lot of assignments to go through before the end of the year. And that actually allowed you to kind of absorb material better. It allowed me to also like basically keep up with the class and keep doing other things without being worried at the end that eventually I will have to catch up kind of sort of thing. Uh, so that was that was good in that sense. Um, and then the other part, which is, extremely important is the fact that it's very rigorous in college. You're not comparing it to the level of uh, material intake that you had in at school, and you are solely the, the only contributor to your own academic success and your own uh, academic progress. You manage your time yourself. You decide what activities you want to have, and you decide how much time you're going to give it to them. And you decide if you're going to try to balance between five things or two things. And if you, if you would like to do a sport, you need to like budget the time. And I think going to Gordonston, I didn't really do the time budgeting, but it was done for me. So I've seen it. And I think I kind of internalized how I could do it. Uh, so although in a sense, it was the opposite of 
Now the system, the system's flexible, but given that I've been in a systematic regime of like scheduling, I know how to do it for myself when I need to. Outside classes, they might be interesting to some, not as such to, to others. But you must have been doing interesting things in the um, in, in Boston, um, in MIT. Can you tell us something about that? Yeah, sure. Boston uh, is a really nice city. I think one of the nice things about Boston is that it's uh, extremely metropolitan, very small city with many different colleges and, uh, and nationalities. And that allows you to have like this really cool fusion of ideas of all sorts of activities i don't think i've nearly felt as homesick in boston as i did in in uh, gordonston in scotland because you can find any any sort of nationality there and that allowed me to do all sorts of activities and given that mit is a technical school i did a lot of technical activities and it mostly started with my freshman summer Uh, where I worked with uh, students from Singapore and we built electric boats to race across the Charles River. And that was kind of my first uh, engineering project. And that kind of opened my mind to a lot of things because I was always interested in engineering and science, but I really haven't done much engineering. I haven't really built any projects myself. And the students who I worked with from Singapore were actually older than us. And In terms of engineering experience, they were way ahead of us. And that kind of made me realize that I'm kind of behind in terms of my engineering knowledge, although I'm still a freshman and although I should not be expected to know a lot to begin with, but I'm still behind. And the end of, at the end of the day, I really need to catch up because if I don't catch up right now, I will always be behind because they're already ahead of us and they're moving just as fast, if not faster than us. Um, so that's when I realized kind of, uh, okay, I need to catch up as fast as possible. So I tried to get my hands on as many engineering projects as possible, joining the MIT electric vehicle team. I joined the, yeah, the aerial team for a bit and I kind of tried to, it, that was the step where I needed to not just improve my engineering skills, but also find something that I'm interested in that I will always be committed to doing. And I think MIT uh, electric vehicle team was that team uh, for a long time. And it was it was a good experience because in school, a lot of the time you don't, they prepare you a lot for uh, graduate school. They prepare you a lot for extremely rigorous uh, engineering work. But a lot of the time in the industry, a lot of the know-how, uh, the industry knowledge, you don't get it from college. And what is expected at MIT is If you're interested in something, you're going to go get it. You're going to go seek opportunities that will allow you to get the, the engineering knowledge that you need. And, and that's kind of what I realized later on is that a lot of other universities will actually give you the industry knowledge. And that wasn't really MIT. So, and, I, and my first internship um, was in Brazil. And that was a really good experience because it was... They really thought highly of MIT students, which meant that you got a lot of uh, leadership, you got a lot of responsibility. And the project, I thought, was very interesting. We built, um, we built a robot for the elderly, and um, the product started with just a sketch and an idea. And by the end of the, um, 
three-month internship. We had a first prototype and presented it to the... Uh, it, was a, <coughs> it was a research facility. So, yeah. Um, again, like, Brazil was like, how do you work with a team where you don't really know what other people know in your team and you don't have that much time to actually get to know the team? Um, so... Um you were responsible for delivering a project in Brazil in three months. You, you guys basically were parachuted in mm-hmm. uh, to do your internships and worked, I'm assuming, with the um, full-time team in there. But you, you were on the point of uh, having to work with a team that you had no clue what they knew and what their sets of skills um, are. How did you navigate that? Actually, one other layer of complexity is... Uh, Neither me or my friend spoke any Portuguese, and most of the company actually only spoke Portuguese. A lot of the time, it had to go through a, a third person, and we tried to learn as much Portuguese as we can just to like make our communication a lot easier. But a lot of the time, I think, like through the first two weeks, we realized, okay, what's the pace at which things can get done, and what's a realistic deadline for us to have to get things delivered, and um, my friend and I were the, the, the mechanical co-leads and uh, we came from IT and we would report to the manager uh, who didn't really have daily interaction of the project, but we would give him updates every week. And over time, we basically kind of adjusted our expectations of uh, how much we can deliver every week and how much we should set as a goal. And you set the goal slightly higher and just because... If you set the goal to be exactly the same, you might even under-deliver. Uh, so just set it higher because worst case, you'll just deliver the minimum that you you ask for, you ask to deliver, and and in the best case, you will over-deliver, and that's never a bad thing. Um, that was your um, internship in Brazil. Um, what other things, interesting things, did you do in your summers? The following summer, I worked at Tesla, and that was a really good experience because... Tesla was at the point where they were under a lot of pressure to ramp up the Model 3 production. And my initial role at Tesla was supposed to be a product design engineer. But what happened is the second day at work, Tesla fired 13% of their total workforce. and It was actually 11% of their total workforce and 13% of all engineers because they couldn't lay off the production associates who were doing the actual assembly of the cars because the goal was to get the car production uh, numbers up so they couldn't lay these people off so they laid off a lot of engineers it was a strange day for me because that was my second day and i was sitting somewhere further from the team because there were no seats and all of a sudden there's a lot of vacant seats and the the result of that is I no longer was a product design engineer and it was more of a thermal engineer with, who still did a lot of product design. So one of my first tasks is to design a thermal model uh, for the car. That was my first experience with um, computational analysis. So um, on the Tesla point, you came in with certain expectations with regards to the role and found out that they laid off 13% of their engineering staff. So you had to assume a new role as a thermal engineer slash uh, production engineer. How did you adjust to the new role? Were you prepared for it in the first place? Uh, Was I prepared for it? I had some, I was a teaching assistant uh, for thermal fluids engineering. So technically I had some 
technical knowledge, but I didn't really have any industrial knowledge of what people do with that knowledge in the industry. So it was a good opportunity for me to kind of dig deeper into what I need to know and uh, what my technical theoretical knowledge translates to in the industrial world. And one of the actually really cool experiences is the fact that Tesla was trying to increase the number production numbers of its Model 3 cars. And in, its, in an attempt to do that, they built uh, an assembly line in two weeks, a manual assembly line in two weeks, which is unprecedented. The, the old one was fully automated and that took years. And they built this one in two weeks. And because they couldn't hire production associates fast enough, they asked us, uh, they asked some of the engineering task force to actually help with the production. And what ended up happening, a lot of us did night shifts at the factory and we assembled the cars ourselves. Uh, so that was a really interesting experience for me, just being at the company at a very pivotal time in its history. And if you follow the news recently, I think Tesla tripled its stock price in just a few months. So just being part of that history is, uh, I think, was an interesting experience. So Tesla, then uh, back to school, then um, graduating, and then joining Apple. So Brazil and Tesla were probably your first steps into the real world, into industry. How did they help you into uh, moving into a full-time job with Apple? And uh, how did you find that transition from college into, into working places? I think I, I kind of realized when I was at Tesla, the, the separation between college and uh, work life, the, the separation between the theoretical knowledge and the industrial knowledge. And I think what I realized is a lot of the time, the university doesn't really teach you everything that... that you will be experiencing in the industry because you could go into you could go into a lot of different industries they couldn't possibly teach you everything about every diff, every industry and they wanted you to graduate having an open mind about which industry you go to and if they were to teach you a very specific set of industrial knowledge that industrial knowledge could change over time however the theoretical foundation of that knowledge doesn't really change the theoretical engineering basis of that doesn't change. And a few months in, I kind of gained an appreciation for the fact that I didn't, my university didn't really teach me a lot of the specific things that I needed in the industry, which a lot of other universities did teach. So uh, the first few months were kind of hard because I felt that my edu education was inadequate in a sense because a lot of universities will teach them very specific car mechanics. And for us, you get very broad car mechanics that goes into, uh, sorry, just general mechanics that goes into a lot of different fields. But what I realized is in two months, I kind of gained all the specific knowledge that I needed. And because the, the foundation was strong, I could go even deeper into that knowledge and understand it well. So I think it, was, it wasn't easy, but over time you adapt and it didn't take that long, I think. What were the main things you did to overcome those gaps? What did you have to do? I think I've always liked learning and even coming to MIT actually with uh, lower than average engineering knowledge than my peers, I gain an appreciation that as long as you try to learn as fast as you can, you, can, you might not catch up exactly. But you will keep up. You will 
and it depends on your environment. Um, you can, if you have a, a mindset where you try to learn, because a lot of people, I think, graduated and they felt that it is their college education that's, that's supposed to give them all the tools they needed to be successful in their work environment. And I initially had that mindset, then I realized, okay, they, it was successful in giving me the tools, but I don't think I have all the knowledge I need. But since the, the learning pace was pretty fast at MIT, I think I realized, okay, whatever I need to learn for this job, I can learn as long as I have an open mind and try to absorb as much as I can and ask questions. And I think part of it is what my manager always said. He's, he was like, you don't have to be the smartest person here. What you need to know is know who, who to ask because someone will have the answer at this company. There's a lot of, it's a, it's a massive company. There's a lot of expertise. And as long as you're willing to ask, people will answer you. People are paid to be here. So they will always answer you. And I think that took me like a couple of months to realize that there's a lot that I don't need to know. And I spent a lot of time just trying to read books to learn specific knowledge when I could have asked a lot of the people who were around me. So just seeking out the, the help from others was very helpful for me to uh, get up to speed in terms of my professional learning experience. Um, last question, Mohammed, um, is with regards to Oman and uh, what you envision bringing back to Oman. How do you see yourself contributing to the country? Thanks for asking that question. I think it's one of the questions that I've thought about for a long time and I still think about. I think, so I'm interested in, in engineering. And I, as of now, I see myself doing a lot of engineering. And I think down the line, getting more experience in uh, doing cutting edge engineering will and get, get, bringing that experience back to Oman will allow me to I think contribute in the the science and technology environment in Oman and trying to bring any sort of foreign expertise that I've gained through my experience bringing it to Oman I think will be helpful in many different applications specifically what I don't know the answer to that yet and I think the world is changing fast enough that whatever I think right now could be changing in two years and our needs, what we think our needs are, could be changing faster than people expect. So I'm keeping an open mind, trying to see what opportunities uh, lay ahead and trying to see in whatever way I can help best. Great. Uh, we wish you all the best, Mohammed, on, um, on your way forward. And uh, thanks for your time and sharing um, your story with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Join us in listening to interesting stories from OQ. Subscribe to Sabla X.